Section 29 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4, by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 15, Part 2. 13. Baptism serves as our confession before men, inasmuch as it is a mark by which we openly declare that we wish to be ranked among the people of God, by which we testify that we concur with all Christians in the worship of one God and in one religion, by which, in short, we publicly assert our faith, so that not only do our hearts breathe, but our tongues also, and all the members of our body, in every way they can, proclaim the praise of God. In this way, as is meet, everything we have is made subservient to the glory of God, which ought everywhere to be displayed, and others are stimulated by our example to the same course. To this Paul referred when he asked the Corinthians whether or not they had been baptized in the name of Christ, 1 Corinthians 1.13, intimating that by the very circumstance of having been baptized in his name, they had devoted themselves to him, had sworn and bound themselves in allegiance to him before men, so that they could no longer confess any other than Christ alone, unless they would abjure the confession which they had made in baptism. 14. Now that the end to which the Lord had regard in the institution of baptism has been explained, it is easy to judge in what way we ought to use and receive it. For inasmuch as it is appointed to elevate, nourish, and confirm our faith, we are to receive it as from the hand of its author, being firmly persuaded that it is himself who speaks to us by means of the sign, that it is himself who washes and purifies us, and effaces the remembrance of our faults that it is himself who makes us the partakers of his death, destroys the kingdom of Satan, subdues the power of concupiscence, nay, makes us one with himself, that being clothed with him we may be accounted the children of God. These things, I say, we ought to feel as truly and certainly in our mind as we see our body washed, immersed, and surrounded with water. For this analogy or similitude furnishes the surest rule in the sacraments, that is, that in corporeal things we are to see spiritual, just as if they were actually exhibited to our eye, since the Lord has been pleased to represent them by such figures. Not that such graces are included and bound in the sacrament so as to be conferred by its efficacy, but only that by this badge the Lord declares to us that he is pleased to bestow all these things upon us. Nor does he merely feed our eyes with bare show. He leads us to the actual object, and effectually performs what he figures. 15. We have a proof of this in Cornelius the centurion, who, after he had been previously endued with the graces of the Holy Spirit, was baptized for the remission of sins, not seeking a fuller forgiveness from baptism, but a surer exercise of faith, nay, an argument for assurance from a pledge. It will perhaps be objected, why did Ananias say to Paul that he washed away his sins by baptism? Acts 22.16 
if sins are not washed away by the power of baptism? I answer, we are said to receive, procure, and obtain whatever by the perception of our faith is exhibited to us by the Lord, whether he then attests it for the first time, or gives additional confirmation to what he had previously attested. All then that Ananias meant to say was, Be baptized, Paul, that you may be assured that your sins are forgiven you. In baptism the Lord promises forgiveness of sins. Receive it and be secure. I have no intention, however, to detract from the power of baptism. I would only add to the sign the substance and reality, inasmuch as God works by external means, but from the sacrament, as from all others, we gain nothing, unless in so far as we receive in faith. If faith is wanting, it will be an evidence of our ingratitude, by which we are proved guilty before God, for not believing the promise there given. In so far as it is a sign of our confession, we ought thereby to testify that we confide in the mercy of God, and are pure, through the forgiveness of sins which Christ Jesus has procured for us, that we have entered into the church of God, that with one consent of faith and love we may live in concord with all believers. This last was Paul's meaning when he said that, quote, By one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Close quote. 1 Corinthians 12.13 16. Moreover, if we have rightly determined that a sacrament is not to be estimated by the hand of him by whom it is administered, but is to be received as from the hand of God himself, from whom it is undoubtedly proceeded, we may hence infer that its dignity neither gains nor loses by the administrator. And just as among men, when a letter has been sent, if the hand and seal is recognized, it is not of the least consequence who or what the messenger was. So it ought to be sufficient for us to recognize the hand and seal of our Lord in his sacraments. Let the administrator be who he may. This confutes the error of the Donatists, who measure the efficacy and worth of the sacrament by the dignity of the minister. Such in the present day are our Catabaptists, who deny that we are duly baptized because we were baptized in the papacy by wicked men and idolaters, hence they furiously insist on Anabaptism. Against these absurdities we shall be sufficiently fortified if we reflect that by baptism we were initiated not into the name of any man, but into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and therefore that baptism is not of man, but of God, by whomsoever it may have been administered. Be it that those who baptized us were most ignorant of God and all piety, or were despisers, still they did not baptize us into a fellowship with their ignorance or sacrilege, but into the faith of Jesus Christ, because the name which they invoked was not their own, but God's, nor did they baptize into any other name. But if baptism was of God, it certainly included in it the promise of forgiveness of sin, mortification of the flesh, quickening of the spirit, and communion with Christ. Thus it did not harm the Jews that they were circumcised by the impure and apostate priests. It did not nullify the symbol, so as to make it necessary to repeat it. It was enough to return to its genuine origin. The objection that baptism ought to be celebrated in the assembly of the godly, 
does not prove that it loses its whole efficacy because it is partly defective. When we show what ought to be done to keep baptism pure and free from every taint, we do not abolish the institution of God, though idolaters may corrupt it. Circumcision was anciently vitiated by many superstitions, and yet ceased not to be regarded as a symbol of grace. Nor did Josiah and Hezekiah, when they assembled out of all Israel those who had revolted from God, call them to be circumcised anew. 17. Then again when they ask us what faith for several years followed our baptism, that they may thereby prove that our baptism was in vain, since it is not sanctified unless the word of the promise is received with faith, our answer is, that being blind and unbelieving, we for a long time did not hold the promise which was given us in baptism, but that still the promise as it was of God always remained fixed and firm and true. Although all men should be false and perfidious, yet God ceases not to be true. Romans 3, 3 and 4. Though all were lost, Christ remains safe. We acknowledge, therefore, that at that time baptism profited us nothing, since in us the offered promise, without which baptism is nothing, lay neglected. Now when by the grace of God we begin to repent, we accuse our blindness and hardness of heart in having been so long ungrateful for his great goodness. But we do not believe that the promise itself has vanished. We rather reflect thus, God in baptism promises the remission of sins, and will undoubtedly perform what he has promised to all believers. That promise was offered to us in baptism. Let us therefore embrace it in faith. In regard to us, indeed, it was long buried on account of unbelief. Now, therefore, let us with faith receive it. Wherefore, when the Lord invites the Jewish people to repentance, he gives no injunction concerning another circumcision, though, as we have said, they were circumcised by a wicked and sacrilegious hand, and had long lived in the same impiety. All he urges is conversion of heart, for how much soever the covenant might have been violated by them, the symbol of the covenant always remained, according to the appointment of the Lord, firm and inviolable. Solely, therefore, on the condition of repentance, were they restored to the covenant which God had once made with them in circumcision, though this which they had received at the hand of a covenant-breaking priest, they had themselves as much as in them lay polluted and extinguished. 18. But they seem to think the weapon which they brandish irresistible, when they allege that Paul rebaptized those who had been baptized with the baptism of John. Acts 19, 3, 5. For if by our confession the baptism of John was the same as ours, then in like manner as those who had been improperly trained, when they learned the true faith, were rebaptized into it, ought that baptism which was without true doctrine to be accounted as nothing and hence we ought to be baptized anew into the true religion with which we are now, for the first time imbued? It seems to some that it was a foolish imitator of John, who by a former baptism had initiated them into vain superstition. This, it is thought, may be conjectured from the fact that they acknowledge their entire ignorance of the Holy Spirit, an ignorance in which John never would have left his disciples. 
but it is not probable that the jews even though they had not been baptized at all would have been destitute of all knowledge of the spirit who is celebrated in so many passages of scripture their answer therefore that they knew not whether there was a spirit must be understood as if they had said that they had not yet heard whether or not the gifts of the spirit as to which paul questioned them were given to the disciples of christ i grant that john's was a true baptism and one and the same with the baptism of Christ, but I deny that they were rebaptized. What then is meant by the words, quote, They were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. End quote. Some interpret that they were only instructed in sound doctrine by Paul, but I would rather interpret more simply that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, in other words, the visible gifts of the Holy Spirit, were given by the laying on of hands these are sometimes designated under the name of baptism thus on the day of pentecost the apostles are said to have remembered the words of the lord concerning the baptism of the spirit and of fire and peter relates that the same words occurred to him when he saw these gifts poured out on cornelius and his family and kindred there is nothing repugnant to this interpretation in its being afterwards added quote, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. End quote. Acts nineteen six. For Luke does not narrate two different things, but follows the form of narrative common to the Hebrews, who first give the substance and then explain more fully. This any one may perceive from the mere context. For he says, quote, When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. In this last sentence is described what the nature of the baptism was, but if ignorance vitiates a former and requires to be corrected by a second baptism, the apostles should first of all have been rebaptized, since for more than three full years after their baptism they had scarcely received any slender portion of purer doctrine then so numerous being the acts of ignorance which by the mercy of god are daily corrected in us what rivers would suffice for so many repeated baptisms nineteen the force dignity utility and end of the sacrament must now if i mistake not be sufficiently clear in regard to the external symbol I wish the genuine institution of Christ had been maintained as fit to repress the audacity of men, as if to be baptized with water, according to the precept of Christ, had been a contemptible thing, a benediction, or rather incantation, was devised to pollute the true consecration of water. There was afterwards added the taper and chrism, while exorcism was thought to open the door for baptism though i am not unaware how ancient the origin of this adventitious farrago is still it is lawful for me and all the godly to reject whatever men have presumed to add to the institution of christ when satan saw that by the foolish credulity of the world his impostures were received almost without objection at the commencement of the gospel he proceeded to grosser mockery hence spittle and other follies to the open disgrace of baptism were introduced with unbridled license from our experience of them let us learn that there is nothing holier or better or safer than to be contented with the authority of christ alone 
How much better, therefore, is it to lay aside all theatrical pomp which dazzles the eyes of the simple and dulls their minds, and when any one is to be baptized, to bring him forward and present him to God, the whole church looking on as witnesses and praying over him, to recite the confession of faith, in which the catechumen has been instructed, explain the promises which are given in baptism, then baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and conclude with prayer and thanksgiving. In this way nothing which is appropriate would be omitted, and the one ceremony which proceeded from its divine author should shine forth most brightly, not being buried or polluted by extraneous observances, whether the person baptized is to be wholly immersed, and that whether once or thrice, or whether he is only to be sprinkled with water, is not of the least consequence. Churches should be at liberty to adopt either, according to the diversity of climates, although it is evident that the term baptize means to immerse, and that this was the form used by the primitive church. 20. It is here also pertinent to observe that it is improper for private individuals to take upon themselves the administration of baptism, for it, as well as the dispensation of the supper, is part of the ministerial office. For Christ did not command to any men or women whatever to baptize, but to those whom he had appointed apostles. And when in the administration of the supper he ordered his disciples to do what they had seen him do, he having done the part of a legitimate dispenser, he doubtless meant that in this they should imitate his example. The practice which has been in use for many ages, and even almost from the very commencement of the church, for laics to baptize in danger of death when a minister could not be present in time, cannot, it appears to me, be defended on sufficient grounds. Even the early Christians, who observed or tolerated this practice, were not clear whether it were rightly done. This doubt is expressed by Augustine when he says, quote, Although a laic have given baptism when compelled by necessity, I know not whether any one can piously say that it ought to be repeated, for if it is done without any necessity compelling it, it is usurpation of another's office, but if necessity urges, it is either no fault or a venial one. End quote. With regard to women, it was decreed without exception in the Council of Carthage that they were not to presume to baptize at all. But there is a danger that he who is sick may be deprived of the gift of regeneration if he decease without baptism. By no means. Our children, before they are born, God declares that he adopts for his own, when he promises that he will be a God to us, and to our seed after us. In this promise their salvation is included. None will dare to offer such an insult to God as to deny that he is able to give effect to his promise. How much evil has been caused by the dogma, ill-expounded, that baptism is necessary to salvation? Few perceive, and therefore think caution the less necessary. For when the opinion prevails that all are lost who happen not to be dipped in water, our condition becomes worse than that of God's ancient people, as if his grace were more restrained than under the law. In that case, Christ will be thought to have come not to fulfill, but to abolish the promises, since the promise, which was then effectual in itself to confer salvation before the eighth day, would not now be effectual without the help of a sign. 
21. What the custom was before Augustine's day is gathered first from Tertullian, who says that a woman is not permitted to speak in the church, nor yet to teach or baptize or offer, that she may not claim to herself any office of the man, not to say of the priest. Of the same thing we have sufficient witness in Epiphanius, when he upbraids Marcion with giving permission to women to baptize. I am not unaware of the answer given by those who take an opposite view, that is, that common use is very different from an extraordinary remedy, used under the pressure of extreme necessity. But since he declares it mockery to allow women to baptize, and makes no exception, it is sufficiently plain that the corruption is condemned as inexcusable on any pretext. In his third book, also when he says that it was not even permitted to the Holy Mother of Christ, he makes no reservation. 22. The example of Zipporah, Exodus 4.25, is irrelevantly quoted, because the angel of God was appeased after she took a stone and circumcised her son. It is erroneously inferred that her act was approved by God. Were it so, we must say that God was pleased with the worship which Gentiles brought from Assyria and set up in Samaria. But other valid reasons prove that what a foolish woman did is ignorantly drawn into a precedent. Were I to say that there were something special in the case making it unfit for a precedent, and especially as we nowhere read that the command to circumcise was specially given to priests, the cases of baptism and circumcision are different. I should give a sufficient refutation. For the words of Christ are plain, quote, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. End quote. Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Since he appointed the same persons to be preachers of the gospel and dispensers of baptism, and in the church quote, no man taketh this honor unto himself, end quote, as the apostle declares, Hebrews five four, quote, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron, end quote. Any one who baptizes without a lawful call usurps another's office. Paul declares that whatever we attempt with a dubious conscience, even in the minutest matters, as in meat and drink, is sin. Romans 14.23 Therefore in baptism by women the sin is the greater, when it is plain that the rule delivered by Christ is violated, seeing we know it to be unlawful to put asunder what God has joined. But all this I pass, only I would have my readers to observe, that the last thing intended by Zipporah was to perform a service to God. Seeing her son in danger, she frets and murmurs, and not without indignation, throws down the foreskin on the ground, thus upbraiding her husband and taking offense at God. In short, it is plain that her whole procedure is dictated by passion. She complains both against her husband and against God, because she is forced to spill the blood of her son. We may add that however well she might have conducted herself in all other respects, yet her presumption is inexcusable in this, in circumcising her son while her husband is present, and that husband not a mere private individual, but Moses, the chief prophet of God, than whom no greater ever arose in Israel. This was no more allowable in her than it would be for women in the present day under the eye of a bishop. But this controversy will at once be disposed of 
when we maintain that children who happen to depart this life before an opportunity of immersing them in water are not excluded from the kingdom of heaven now it has been seen that unless we admit this position great injury is done to the covenant of god as if in itself it were weak whereas its effect depends not either on baptism or on any accessories the sacrament is afterwards added as a kind of seal not to give efficacy to the promise as if in itself invalid but merely to confirm it to us hence it follows that the children of believers are not baptized in order that though formerly aliens from the church they may then for the first time become children of god but rather are received into the church by a formal sign because in virtue of the promise they previously belonged to the body of christ hence if in omitting the sign there is neither sloth nor contempt nor negligence we are safe from all danger by far the better course therefore is to pay such respect to the ordinance of god as not to seek the sacraments in any other quarter than where the lord has deposited them when we cannot receive them from the church the grace of god is not so inseparably annexed to them that we cannot obtain it by faith according to his word End of section 29